Hey, it's Kathy with Rocky Retirement. And as promised, today's Friday, and so you'll be getting to listen to Henry Shapiro's Retired Excited. I know you're just going to love this as much as I do. And don't forget, you can still listen to Rock Your Retirement, where I'm the host, and those shows are released on Mondays. Welcome to the Retired Excited Podcast. Retired Excited, the show where we give retired and want-to-be-retired folk a look at how great retired life can be. Here we talk to men and women who are happily retired and loving their life. We explore the techniques, activities, beliefs, and excitement of these happy retirees and examine how every Tom, Dick, and Mary can benefit from their experience. Together, we will delve into what retired happiness really looks like and how anyone can achieve it. Here is your host, Henry Shapiro. Hey folks, Henry here at Retired Excited, the show providing inspiration for people who are nearly retired, newly retired, or say they're never going to retire. If you're nearing retirement and fearful of what lies ahead, you don't need to be. If you're already retired and wondering how to fill your days, then this show is exactly for you. Here we talk to retired people doing things that make them happy. Things from stamp collecting to cruising, from dancing to touring the world on a motorbike. There's an exciting stage of life to be enjoyed after full-time work and it's got nothing to do with your financial situation or social position. We talk to everyday retired people who are living the life they want and we talk to a few professionals to get expert advice. And I chip in with some of my own experiences. Hey there everybody, it is Henry at Retired Excited. And here we are with episode number 17. The weeks are slipping by. There are things that go on in this world that one never thinks about. Uh, And I'm talking about good things. And we're going to talk... about one of those things today. I'm going to talk to a lady whose name is Janella, and her activity is something you won't have thought about. It's what she does is she interviews people who are approaching the end of their life. Maybe they're seriously ill, and maybe they're just getting a bit old and worn out. She's a volunteer for Eastern Palliative Care, which is an organisation that provides services to these people. The people are referred to them by doctors or by nurses, or in fact you can ring them and ask for some help yourself. And Eastern Palliative Care do a whole lot of physical things, like sending a nurse around if you need a few things done, even on a weekly or daily basis, uh, providing that sort of service, but also a service which we're going to call biography, recording the people's lives, and if it works out this way, collating that, writing it down, and turning it into a book, something that they can read back through and at their leisure, something that they can give to their families to keep as a keepsake for them. This is a fascinating interview, really, because, uh, well, for many reasons, but I'm not able to talk about, or more particularly, Janella is not able to talk about specific cases because privacy is absolute. And so she won't talk to you about individual people or activities or that sort of thing. But what I do talk about is the activity itself, how she got into it, And if you wanted to consider doing this, what you would need to think about the logistics of it, how it works, what sort of people become biographers, 
how you uh, apply for it, and what sort of people are the clients. She calls them clients. They're certainly not patients in her world. They're clients. What sort of people become clients and how they become clients. In the end, and we find this out along the way, it's not necessarily the document which is the purpose of the whole exercise. Now, that might sound a bit contradictory, and I'm not going to say anything any more about that at the moment, only to say that Janella explains it. As we're going along, she explains really what the purpose is. If she finishes up with a document with pictures in it and something, you know, a gorgeous book, well, that's an absolute bonus, but that's not what the exercise really is all about. So I welcome Janella, and, well, let's have Janella tell us the story. Here we go. Today we're going to talk about an interest that you have, which is recording people. It's a bit like being a, I'm not sure if this is the right word, a biographer. Is that That's right? What, do, what do you call yourself? We call ourselves biographers. We talk to people who are in their ends of life stage through a palliative care organisation. Rather than call it biography, I, I call it sort of reflections and memories of people who are trying to, to spend some time getting their lives in order some way, yes. sort of emotionally, I think, yes. and and in, in readiness for dying. They are dying, the people that we talk to, whether it's sooner or later. Mm. Uh, with some it can be sooner. I've lost clients midway through the process. Um, others that it was a struggle at the end. And now, I'm, I'm going to stop you there because sure. yeah. as soon as you start, that whole starburst of questions happens yes. in my brain. Okay. <laughs> and But I, let, I'm going to come back to all that. And just go back before you were doing this. Am I right in saying you were a, you are a retired person? You yes. stopped full-time employment? Yes. Yeah. Nobody so, pays me to do anything <laughs> anymore, so that's my difference. Bugger. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing beforehand? Um, before I retired, I was working in the ABC shop in the city. Did you know that you were coming up to retirement? Did you plan it? How did that happen? No, no. I went on an overseas trip and I rang up when I returned to get my shifts for the, the coming weeks and days. And the manager said to me, well, are you sitting down? And I said, oh, well, I can be. And she said, well, we've just been in meetings with the ABC and they're about to close the ABC shop in the city. It was in the GPO building. Many people will know it. Yes. Some with, with fond memories and some not so much. Others, depending yes. on it. I didn't have to retire at that point, but my option was to be manoeuvred into a different one of the shops in one of the shopping centres. So from the time you were told until the time you left, was that a long period of time? We had some months okay. and we had to pack ourselves up. Oh, you packed the shop up? Yes. Yes, okay. So our last sort of time in the shop was in an empty space covered in boxes and drinking champagne, <laughs> drinking which, is, which is all good fun. I had an idea that I would like to do this biography thing and I'd been putting that off, so... Uh, from what you're saying, it wasn't an upsetting thing for you? It, no, but I think that I would have liked to have kept on doing what I was doing for yes. a bit longer. So yeah. it definitely wasn't really on my terms. What did you think you would be doing after you retired? Well, I had two friends who were doing the biography work. I didn't know whether I would absolutely be able to do that. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody is accepted to do it, And but I thought that it was a thing that was going to be a fit for me. Okay. Um, so I thought that I probably would do that. And then I sort of had this happy vision of myself in domestic suburban bliss hanging out the washing, growing the veggies and 
working in the garden. Okay, so now you're retired. Let's then move on to what you're doing with the hospice patients. Is that the right way to say it? It's probably as good a word as any. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. So some of them are in a hospice situation. Many of them are in their own homes. So far, my clients have been in their own home. I've been doing it for 12 months. I've had four clients. I've interviewed them all at home. There's a whole lot of um, logistical questions, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, sure. they'll just be quick questions. So the first thing is, who actually runs this thing? The organisation is called Eastern Palliative Care. Right. The biography is a very small um, component of the whole organisation, and it's I won't say it's very small in its significance, but it's a small part and it's one of the services that's offered to the clients that they have. So now we've got an organisation and they are, they are already involved with people who are in this situation. How do you become involved or how does anybody become involved in this? You would be able to go to their website and follow a trail to volunteers and you could call one of the coordinators or email and put in an expression of interest. I put in an expression of interest one September. I was then asked to come in for an interview. If I can just back in, yep. do they call for expressions or did you just do it? Well, I called them earlier and they okay. said, um, download this form and at this particular appointed time, that's when we want to receive them. So fill it out and send it into us around about then, and it was a, a September of the particular year. Then I was asked to come in for an interview. If they're doing a selection, what sort of criteria are they looking for? What sort of people or criteria, or don't they tell you? Um, they don't really tell us, but I suspect that they want people who, well, I think there's, if we start with the easy stuff, there's a very a certain level of technical expertise, there's a certain level of ability to communicate, there's um, a level of of your capacity to be interested and empathetic empathetic with with your clients. Also then the capacity to sort of follow the organisation's structures and not be a rogue operator. They just want good people who can open their hearts up and go and talk to the people that, okay. that are in this situation. And so the process, am I right in saying the process was you went and you had that interview and then what happened after that? So then they um, invited me to join their training program, which is quite specific, unforgiving in its timetable, eight Wednesdays in a row through February and March, all day. This is pretty rigorous. Yes, they... so, so they didn't want you if you said, well, I could come for February and not March or I could come for the morning and not the afternoon. Because they had a number of people who were prepared to go and do the training, they didn't need people that weren't really mm. able to commit themselves to that. Now we've got your side of it and you're, you're trained and you're ready to rock and roll. How do they select, uh, we call them the clients? The clients. The interviewees. They call them clients because clients? we yes. have a professional relationship with them. We're not medical caregivers in that sense. So they're not our patients. No. They are a patient of a doctor. We operate with them on a different level. They have clients referred to them through hospitals, doctors, nurses, all sorts of places. You can even ring them yourself if, if you have a family member or you're unwell yourself. Am I right in saying that this is quite separate from your doctor and whatever was going on before? This is a whole separate group of, of professionals to look after you. But they're on call 24 hours a day, every day. In a situation which is not your ongoing treatment for 
with your oncologist and your medication for palliative options, yes. which might include physio, some morphine, yeah. um, hygiene issues, all those sorts of things. Coming back to the biographers, you were working in a bookshop, but were you a writer? What experience do you need to be able to do this? Okay. Um, I... I was working in a bookshop before that. My um, my past was my past life was as a teacher. So I was an English teacher in a secondary okay. school, helping students make their writing and their efforts as best as they could. I'm not a bad editor in that sense. The way I would relate it to what I do now is that we totally just use the client's voice. We transcribe their own words. But when I talked to one of the biographers, who I thought was a very beautiful writer and also her biographies were beautifully written, I said, how do you work that? And she said, well, I am using their voice, but I give them the best version of their voice that I can. So we are making their voice readable and expressive and interesting, but we are retaining the essence of the person and definitely telling their story in their words, even though we tweak their words. (laughs) So is your experienced teacher and then working with uh, in the bookshop and so on. Is that typical of what the other people had been doing? Do you know what the other interviewers had been doing? No, I think that everybody came from very different, different. sorts of background. Yeah. yeah. I so can imagine nurses or... policy you know, writers. There's some nurses. Mm. So then let's get on to the clients. What sort of people are they? Is that possible to say? Not really? No, they, they are of all ages. My particular clients have been between 50 and 90, definitely younger, definitely down to even children, but that's rarer. Mm -hmm. And how are they selected? How does the organisation select who they're going to put into this program, let's say? When they are visited for the first time by their home support worker, um, they are offered various services, which might be Art therapy, music therapy, massage, drivers, helping to get to appointments, um, those sorts of physical supports that are good when people need that. But also, sorry, the home support volunteer who can be a person who would visit them once a week and just spend time with them, do various things around the house with them or take them out for a coffee somewhere once a week if that's something that they would like to do and also biography. The biographer would be um, described to them as somebody who would just come and record their story for them in whatever way they would like to tell their story and to make that story into a book of their words and if they can provide them, their photographs, pictures, etc. Are the biographers male and female? I think there's a predominance of females as there often are Mm -hmm. in lots of situations where having men involved as well would be a really good idea, so they're really interested in having them in. The organisation says, I'm offering you this service, and the person says yes. As far as the client is concerned, what do they see the purpose of it as? We have a pretty clear purpose ourselves. I think that you come to a, a sort of a marriage of understanding what the purpose is. To describe it from our point of view first, it's a, it's a therapy a time that you spend with your client maybe once a week where they have the opportunity to reflect on their life, to think about their family, their friends, their work, their background, their values, their hopes and 
dreams and whether they've been fulfilled, not, not fulfilled, whether, whether it's been a life well lived. Yes. Or we wouldn't say that specifically the, um, the purpose, but hopefully when they do look back on their life, many of them do think, well, that was a life well lived. I know that I've had two clients, particularly out of my four, who said to me, you know, doing this biography has made me think my story was interesting. My story was worthwhile. I'm really glad I lived my life. And to so, hear that is just absolute, you know, you think, well, there it is, bingo right yes, there. Um, fantastic. And you sort of think, well, that's almost your last line of your, <laughs> of your biography and you put that in. If I can just say, I, uh, my mother-in-law, who's now 94, Maybe eight years ago, we encouraged her to write it down. So she had, she filled up a number of exercise books. She started, you know, when I was a girl, I went to the school and did it in excruciating detail. And she lived in Singapore uh, for a good part of her life. And she was there during the Japanese occupation. So she wrote, she wrote, and she wrote till she got to that. And then it became too emotional for her and she stopped. So I'm putting this to you. How do your clients feel? Do they get overwhelmed by the... That can happen, yes. Mm. And one time I asked a client a question about life for her after her second husband had died, who'd been very much the love of her life, and I don't think I'm being too specific because I haven't said any names, but she actually misread my question. I meant her day-to-day life, and she started to talk about how hard that had been for her and then said, I actually have to stop today, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. They absolutely drive the process. Um, we start and we stop on their terms. We try not to really ask too many questions or make too many suggestions. It's, that's really only for when they get a bit stuck and they, they say, yes, I would like you to, to help me. I would like you to give me ideas of which way I might take from here or there. You might think that there's a part of that client's life that you think sounds really interesting and you want to probe that and get an interesting story from it. But even that's not the purpose. The purpose is for the client to let their memories come from where they want them to come from. I was was going to ask you that. that, Is it like, are you like a court reporter who is just writing what he said Mm. and you're writing like a timeline that they give you or are you trying to get, trying to get, may not be the right way to put it, the emotion and the philosophy and the background to what's going on? We'll probably try and explore those sorts of things if the client is happy for that to be explored. We talk about it in three in three steps, I suppose, in that the time with the client and the visit that you do and the conversation that you have with the client and allowing them to talk to you is the primarily important aspect of the whole process. Um, beyond that, if you then get a recorded story, that's good. And if you can then turn that into a book that's a physical thing that you can present to them and that they can then give their families or even just enjoy for themselves, we call that the icing on the cake. But it's not necessary. So if the, the purpose the purpose is really the time that's spent with the client and the well being and the improvement in um, and the the way that makes the client feel stronger, better, happier about their situation, that's what we're trying to deal with. Yes. So that's actually quite a learning curve when you go into this program and as a biographer, you go in wanting 
to make glorious, glossy, coloured, highly illustrated, beautiful books full of incredibly wonderful, wild, fabulous, entertaining stories for a family or anybody to read. And that's great if you get that. But in fact, the time that you spend with a client who says, oh, I've really enjoyed that time spent with you. It's a time that nobody's saying to them, have you taken your medication? Are you breathing better? Are you in pain? Sometimes um, it's it's reported by clients themselves or families or people around them that doing the process of the biography does give them pain because it's, it's in, I suppose it's in the same manner as of that mindfulness whole well-being thing that we're all talking about now for pain management, that we're taking people away from their pain yes. and not concentrating on them as a, a cancer sufferer or somebody who's got to go up to more chemotherapy tomorrow. We're, talking, we're allowing them to talk and reflect on what they've done in the past. A lady I interviewed a little while ago was a Males on Wheels volunteer, mm-hmm. and she was telling me that when she went in to somebody's house, she might be the only person that that, per, that, that mm-hmm. person saw all day, mm-hmm. and they were really pleased to see her. And it was another level of security for the person, a bit different to what you're doing. It's just human contact, and yours is human contact writ large, isn't it, really? It, it's yeah. Yes. And it's terribly special, I mean, because we do listen to their story. You feel really like you've got to know that person terribly well. Well, that's. I wanted to ask you about that. Do you become, I don't know if it's right to say, emotionally involved with what's going on with the, with the patients, with the, with the clients? Obviously, there's, there's clients that you become very fond of, and yes. I've really, really enjoyed spending time talking to them and having a bit of a laugh and a chat and hearing their stories. And... I know that they are at the end of their life. One of those that I was very fond of has died. I didn't find that incredibly difficult because when we when we leave the client as a biographer, we don't have further contact with them anyway. So once you feel that they've come to the end of telling their story or they're too unwell to go on or whatever it is that causes the end for that relationship or they've just told enough and there's they feel that that's as much as they wanted to tell. We generally work with them for about eight sessions. We have that disconnect anyway. So they're not a person who's still in our life, even though we have our memory of them and we know that that was somebody who we got to know very well, but now there's there's no more contact. It's nice to think somebody's still alive in the world that you were fond of, but if they're not... That's not it's not something that I've personally struggled with. That's been okay. I imagine you can think, well, I helped that person a little bit. When you first meet the person, they would they need to have particular trust in you. Can you talk to me about that? How, how does that develop? <laughs> yes, well, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking meeting the client for the first time and going into their house and, and um, making that start. What I have done is set, suggested to them that they're beginning when they when they um, start telling their story, that they start with some pretty concrete stuff. And that's worked for me so far. As I've said, I have not had a wide range or a long time doing this. The clients have sort of said, oh, yes, that's a good idea, I can start there. So I've often said, you could just talk to me about where your family lived when you were born, 
what your parents were doing, a bit about them, a little bit about your family situation and how you came to be, and then see where that leads you. And that's a really safe beginning point. Yes. It's not like I'm saying, now how about you tell me about you know your values and religious beliefs and let's go from there. What was your relationship be, with your first husband? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or something that would be incredibly difficult and threatening. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been starting with somewhere concrete and then I think also giving them that space to talk. One of the things that we're encouraged to do in our training is to spend time not saying much at all. A long silence is okay. Sometimes if you interject into a long silence, you actually stop a train of thought or a feeling that might have led to somewhere, yeah. and then you've, you've spoiled the moment. This involves a great amount of work for you, it seems to me. You meeting with the person, I'm not sure how, how long typically would each session, let's say, last? Okay. Um, so you would drive out to their home and whatever mm-hmm. distance that was, that would be anywhere between 15 minutes to an hour. I haven't had any that have been any longer than half an hour. Then you would spend about an hour with them. During that time you might record half an hour or, or two, 45 minutes or so. Okay, if if you go if you let it go for a lot longer than that, you've got a hell of a lot of transcribing to do. And one day I had this man who really, really could talk a lot. And it seemed while I was there that it was rude to stop him. And all of a sudden it was after five o'clock and I looked at the and I said, I think I'm going to have to stop you because, you know, they'll be sending out a search party for me. And when I looked at the recording, it had been going for an hour and 20 minutes and that was hours of work transcribing. Yes. So about half an hour to 45 minutes is a good amount of time. So there's a little bit of um, setting up beforehand and, you know, at the end sort of spending a bit of time having a chat. However... Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode 1 and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, 
we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.